just in time for summer, the folks at Epic Brewing have released a new canned cocktail, the Utah Margarita. A delicious blend of real lime and agave, the Utah Margarita is ready to drink by the river or in the park. And here's the kicker, no need to buy it at a liquor store. Pick up a six-pack of Epic Brewing's Utah Margarita at any local Harmon's or Trader Joe's, or visit Epic Brewing on State Street in downtown Salt Lake City. It's Emily Means filling in for Ali Vallarta, and here's what Salt Lake's talking about. Salt Lake City is looking to open a sanctioned camp for unsheltered folks by winter. Where's it going to go? And residents on the east side of Salt Lake City will have a new place to shop for groceries in about two years. Building Salt Lake editor Taylor Anderson is here to break down the stories of the week with me. It's Friday, September 1st, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Building Salt Lake editor Taylor Anderson, good morning. Good morning to you, Emily. How you doing? You know, I'm doing great. I'm so happy you're here. What a treat to uh, talk about the news with you. The biggest headline is the Deseret News and Salt Lake Tribune are reporting Salt Lake City is looking for a place to build a sanctioned campground for 30 to 50 people by this winter. And this comes from the city and also state homelessness officials meeting with their editorial boards, I think, to talk about things besides sanctioned camping, like just general homelessness and housing plans. But for sure, the big headline out of those meetings with their editorial boards is this sanctioned camping news. They're looking at a spot for 30 to 50 people, and this would be kind of like a pilot project. So they're going to test it out, see if it works. And if it does, they would consider expanding this project. Um, But I think, Taylor, the big question is, where is it going to go? It's like homeless shelter location siting 2.0. Remember that? 2017. I I had just moved here and everybody is talking about, is it going to be in Sugar House? Is it going to be in my neighborhood? Is it going to, where are these new shelters they built going to go? And we're like, right back to square one, even though I think this news is like showing that there's some momentum building around homelessness issues in Salt Lake City. You know, it does take me back to when they were trying to cite the smaller homeless shelters. We call them homeless resource centers now. After Road Home, which was the big, like, 1,200-person shelter in downtown Salt Lake City, closed. I mean, there are only so many places I feel like such a project could go. So some other details that they are looking at for this kind of sanctioned camp, which basically means it's a space where it will be legal for people to sleep outside. They're looking at amenities like showers and toilets and places for people to safely store their things. I think the one big difference, though, between now and when the shelters were previously being cited is the city council updated Salt Lake City's shelter ordinance to make it possible to put a shelter just about anywhere in the city. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that gives us some room to play around, I think. It does, which makes me think it's the million dollar question. Where is it going to go? I think the city knows about where it's 
it's going to be. I mean, the mayor I, in that story in the Tribune, it was funny. You know, I'm not going to tell you that. Uh, <laughs> the money quote. <laughs> good answer. Good answer. I mean, it's going to cause an uproar no matter where it's going to go, because you either have a politically connected area getting a homeless camp that, that the city will place into a, a well-off, wealthy area. How's that going to go? Mm-hmm. And the other thing is the equity question, right? Like, where is right. affordable housing being built right now? Where do lower-income people generally live right now in the city? Where is there, there a bigger burden being carried? And it's the west side, right? So does it make sense to add another burden onto that area? I'm not casting judgment either way, but I think that's going to be the controversial thing. So no matter what the mayor does say when she ends up announcing where this location is going to be, it's going to be a hot potato. Where do you think it could go? Where would you put such a such a program <laughs> if you were I'm mayor, not, Taylor? <laughs> I'm not going to tell you that. No, um, <laughs> it needs to be near transit. You can't put something like that on an island. You can't put it far from services, far from groceries, far from things that people need to survive in this city. Like mm-hmm. if they're going to open it by winter, we're talking about people living outside by winter mm-hmm. and you don't go put them on an island that they can't get off of to go live life. Somewhere near Redwood Road is mm-hmm. probably where I could see the city doing this. They own more land over there. There's fewer neighbors to cause an uproar. And... Um, it has some decent transit. The Redwood bus line is the most heavily ridden bus line in the city, in the region. Hmm. And um, somewhere near North Temple and Redwood, which puts you somewhere near the airport, is mm-hmm. I could easily see the city putting a sanctioned camp there. And I could see the state putting a bigger sanctioned state camp in that same general area. What do you think? Yeah. Well, okay. That area in particular, Redwood Road, North Temple-ish, We've already got services out there, you know, we've got in in terms of homeless resources. I mean, they just barely opened the point, a permanent supportive housing facility out there. Formerly, the Ramada Inn served as a winter overflow shelter in the past couple of years there. So I could definitely see a lot of pushback. Also, in that area, they're looking at building the tiny home village. Uh, That's taken quite some time to come online. But I thought about maybe like the old bicycle center on Highland Drive in Sugar House, because that is where a winter overflow shelter popped up. But it's still it's still vacant, you know. And if we're talking about equity and we're talking about spreading around these resources, that's a spot on the east side where I think it could could easily slide in. That's very logical. And I know that there's a number of people that are just waiting for something in Sugar House, something anywhere east of 7th, like anywhere, because that part of town, it's a big part of town, is so good at blocking anything that's going to help with this problem. New housing, new moderate income housing, right? So Emily, you are so right to nail that building, which is owned by the the Redevelopment Administration, RDA, owns that site on Highland Drive and Sugarmont. And that's a very logical place to put something. People are already camping right there at at Fairmont (laughs) Park. Yeah, right. And, you know, there is a lot of good transit service in Sugar House, although right now the construction is probably hindering (laughs) that a little bit. Taylor, I got to tell you, I was pretty surprised to hear about this 
winter deadline, essentially, for this sanctioned campground. Because we talked to Salt Lake City Homeless Policy Director Andrew Johnston just one month ago, like the beginning of August. And we asked him about sanctioned camping and and short-term solutions. And from our conversation, I did not get that they were looking to open this up by winter. And so kind of surprised me. And I did ask the city and I asked Andrew Johnston in particular to answer some of my questions. And he very graciously did on a very quick turnaround. So I wanted to know a couple of things. And I'd like to report this to you right now, if that's all right. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Let's hear it. Breaking news. Let's go. So I wanted to know what had changed between now and when we first talked with him. And, you know, what he mentioned was the pressures to make sure people have somewhere to stay safe this winter, to stay warm this winter. He did acknowledge that everyone is stretched really thin on this issue, but he says they've identified a couple of possible locations for this already, and they feel like they're making pretty good progress, although two months might be overly ambitious, uh, but they do believe winter is realistic for this. In terms of where it will go, I asked about what criteria they're considering. Andrew says location is big, Whether it's available is big, which is why I think like a city-owned property uh, such as that old bicycle center in Sugar House is probably a good option. But the most important thing they're considering is safety and security for both the residents who will be staying there and also the surrounding neighborhood. You know, like concerns that if we just put all the people in this one place, it will become a target for exploitation or on the other end of things, there will be impacts to the neighborhood that house residents don't particularly appreciate. So unless that condition is met, the safety and security conditions, he says the program won't work. That's big. I mean, the more that I think about it, the more I think it's going to be near Redwood Road because we have like fewer neighbors to be impacted by whatever, right? I mean, these are people too, right? They need a place to be. Right now, they're often in parks and that's a, creating a quality of life issue for the residents that visit the parks, right? So there's warehousing districts. I'm not saying hide them somewhere, right? Because they can't be hidden because they're going to get preyed upon potentially. That's the fear that the city is trying to remediate. But there are places, and when I've looked, you know, there's other sanctioned camps across the country. I mean, it's sure. not yeah. super common, but this is becoming a m- more thing that we're talking about more. And it's often in those areas that are like transitioning from residential into industrial and warehouse. They're describing the airport, and I don't mean to like predict this so much, but it just seems like that's where it's going to end up being. Um, hmm. I'm glad that the city responded and they're being as transparent as they possibly can be right now. Yeah, I think it's... It's really important. I don't think anyone wants to be surprised by this. I think also service providers don't want to be surprised by this. Uh, I I did ask him, like, what happens if a service provider doesn't step up to operate this? Because the city and the state are kind of working together to figure out who who can do this thing. And what we know about homeless service providers in this city and state right now is they are strapped, Taylor. They are strapped for funding and staffing. And I've heard that they're even reluctant to um, expand their existing services during the winter based on those deficits they have. So I really don't know who's like raising their hand to be like, yes, we would love to take on operating a sanctioned campground right now. 
But he did say he's heard there's some interest uh, around operating a campground, but a lot of it hinges on state support and funding. So we'll see if all of these pieces can fall into place in this very ambitious timeline they've set for themselves. Yeah, I mean, I'm always reluctant to trust that the state will do the right thing. You know, I do think generally we're moving in the right direction. But, you know, when you were just describing how hard it is to find a provider, if the state steps up with enough money, somebody's going to provide what is mm. needed, you know. And yeah. I think the fact that we're talking about multiple camps in Salt Lake City and not in the suburban dominated legislature's districts, uh, it's probably more likely that the state would pony up to help make sure mm. that there's a good provider. But that is so crucial that it has to happen. So, yeah, for sure. Um, Taylor, the last thing I wanted to mention about this sanctioned camping uh, announcement um, is this is happening during a pretty heated mayoral election where the issue, the main issue is homelessness. And Salt Lake City Mayor Erin Mendenhall is up for re-election. One of her biggest challengers right now is former Salt Lake City Mayor Rocky Anderson. And his big idea is to put forth this sanctioned camping experiment as a potential solution for homelessness. So I don't know if you were getting those vibes that like, it's hard to untangle what's happening in terms of homeless services and homeless policy right now from this mayoral election. I mean, we've been moving this direction for years. Let's just call it out, right? Because Rocky is saying, let's go to the wing point and put a sanctioned camping, uh, homelessness camping spot there. If that is what has led to this point, then go ahead and say, yeah, Rocky, you're right. Like, we're going to do that. That's not that's not good politics, maybe. But uh-huh. like, we're trying to solve a very complex issue. And if a good idea arises, even in the midst of this heated election, like, good idea, we'll do it. Maybe if that was your one issue, you can chill out now or whatever. But the word that I'm hearing on the streets from people on the east side and the west side is like, this is great news. If we have these camps, it doesn't matter whose idea it was. This is great news for the city. Get it done. And let's improve our parks and other public spaces and take care of this community that needs more care. Like it's win, win, win across the board. So whoever had the idea first, I personally don't care. I'm sure many people do care, but I'm not one of them. What about you? I think that's really nice, Taylor. I think that would be so refreshing because I do think, and Blake Apgar noted this in his story in the Salt Lake Tribune, I do believe that the Mayor Mendenhall's position has evolved on this issue. You know, in 2021, uh, the Tribune had a quote from her basically saying, oh, heck no, we're not having a designated place for people to camp in a tent in Salt Lake City. Um, You know, she says that people are kind of cutting off her statement when they refer to that story. And she was just kind of concerned about the city leading out on that sort of thing and the city operating that sort of thing. Just considering the load that Salt Lake City has carried on this issue. Um, But I feel like her position has kind of softened. And I think it would be nice to hear that acknowledgement that, mm-hmm. yeah, my opinion has changed on this. And I think it's a good idea to meet the needs of this moment right now. It's a really hard thing for politicians to do, to be like, I have changed my mind. If you're not changing your mind as a politician, you need you should get out of politics. You should not run for office. Like You should always be gathering information and improving your ideas based on what's out there. If she's evolved, that's great. I'm really happy that that happened. 
Yeah, for sure. Well, the Tribune reports Mayor Mendenhall expects to announce the location by the end of September. Um, so we'll keep an eye out on that. In the meantime, you can shameless plug check out our interview with salt lake city mayor aaron mendenhall on homelessness uh we interviewed all of the mayoral candidates on this issue uh and like i said we talked with andrew johnston recently about this as well so i will link those in the show notes for your listening pleasure The Living Traditions Festival is back in downtown Salt Lake City, May 17th through 19th. And this is when I come alive. It is so easy to sell me on three days of Washington Square and Library Square converting to a global food court. And this festival has truly been one of my favorites for years now. Living Traditions convenes the diversity of artistic traditions, food heritage, music, and art from the many cultures that have made Utah their home. You can expect everything from live music and dance to hands-on workshops, a little shopping, Sundance film screenings, and Bohemian Brewery. There is something for the whole family, and it's free entry. Come celebrate all of the rich cultures that make up our community. Find more information on the festival and view the full program guide at livingtraditionsfestival.com or on Instagram and Facebook at SLC Living Trad. We talk a lot on this show about our city's crown jewels. What are the institutions that open doors in our community and regulate its pulse? I choose Salt Lake Community College, and it is a home for incredibly focused Salt Lakers. Nearly 80% of their students work while going to school, many full-time jobs. If I could do college all over again, I would not be 33 and sitting on these damn student loans. And slick students aren't. 80% graduate with little to no student loan debt or save thousands knocking out credits before transferring to a four-year institution. Every day, Salt Lake Community College is transforming lives and communities through education. If you want to learn something new, refine a trade, or pursue a higher degree for the first time, explore your options at slcc.edu. Study alongside hard workers, save precious money, and be one in a class of 19, not 100. All right, Taylor Anderson, big news in your neck of the woods. The Salt Lake Tribune reports the Wasatch Cooperative Market will open at the old Southeast Market on 9th South in like two years. <laughs> I know that you are a huge Cooperative Market stand. Can you just give us a quick breakdown of what this is? Yeah, and, and, and I'll explain why I'm a huge stand too. I mean, Please do. 2017, I move here, it's January, the winter market is going on. This is when it was in the Rio Grande Depot building. And my wife and I are just trying to plant roots here, right? Like figure out what's going on. The mark farmer's markets are great places to do that. And there's this booth that's like, join the Wasatch Co-op I know market. that booth. <laughs> and I'm like, hell yeah. Like every other city I've lived in has a co-op. And I'm like, oh yeah, like boom, we're in. This is where we'll shop, meet the farmers, like get our food, meet some crafts makers. And uh, we signed up and paid the money to become members that day. Damn, they sold you so they fast. They sold me. It's like a $300 membership, you know. Um, I don't know what I was thinking, but joined it, <laughs> came home. I'm like, sick, where's this market? That's when I found out that the market didn't exist. 
right? <laughs> it's a campaign to open up a cooperative market in the city that I had just joined. I signed on to a co- campaign. Then I've got to be one of its biggest advocates, yeah. right? You know? Oh, okay, so they got I see. You had they to make your me. investment pan out. <laughs> right. I didn't really, I skipped, I skipped your question, which was, what is a co-op? This is a full service grocery store where you can get, you know, anything that you want. Your fresh veggies from the farmer that's growing things in hoop houses over off of North Temple to farmers that are up and down the valley. Like you, you have a year round permanently open farmer's market, essentially. And it's kind of like a hub of, you know, if you're a craftsperson, if you're just trying to shop, if you're like trying to get involved with the community, this is now going to be your place because the Wasatch Co-op is like for the community. They're entirely of the community. Cool. Your dollars spent stay in the community. They don't go to Kroger or some other net multinational chain. So that's why I'm stoked about it. Just because me personally, I, I like those kinds of things. Like everyone has their choices, but yeah. this is happening to go in in my neighborhood. and I'm jazzed as heck yeah. about it. Honestly, it sounds really cool. But, you know, Building Salt Lake, you've reported on this a lot. Uh, This building needs some major renovations and also major funding. Uh, The Tribune reported they're looking to raise $2.8 million in their capital campaign, uh, which is why, you know, we're looking at this like two year timeline for opening. So is this a historic building then, Taylor? Every building is historic, right? I mean, it's it's hard to say, but like, yes, this this building has a history. It's pretty old. I forget exactly when it was built, um, but the developer is kind of branding it the milk block. There was an old market, I'm pretty sure, that was in this building. It's, like many other buildings, suffered from some horrific design choices over the years. Like, there's a beautiful, like, barrel roof ceiling in there, which, if you're into architecture at all, is just like a unique rounded dome top of when you're inside it's like nice and spacious and it's like we don't build buildings like that anymore and at some point in like the 60s 70s and 80s we were like you know it'd be good there like let's cover it up (laughs) we did that with a lot of things i feel like hardwood floors beautiful brick facades we said we don't need any of that beautiful design here give me give me stucco Give me stucco. It's 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 so hot right now. Yeah. <laughs> and that happened to this building too. So the the new owner, the developer of the milk block, has a proven track record of caring for her tenants, of like preserving like old historic buildings, of like caring about architecture. She has a nice design style. She intentionally reached out to the co-op and said, I will build a place for you. I know you need a place. And a different option had already fallen through. So like, mm. it was like a nice, magical like pairing of some beautiful minds and a lot of effort uh, that's been going on for a very long time. And yeah. so I'm willing to wait the extra two years for them to like finish this out. And uh, I can guarantee it's going to be a beautiful place. Yeah, well, you waited this long, so you can't give up at this point. Um, Taylor, so you mentioned this is in your neighborhood, your neighborhood, Liberty Wells, right? Do you think this neighborhood, putting your bias aside as this will be very convenient for you, is this neighborhood the best place for this resource? I think we hear about food deserts on the west side of Salt Lake often, um, you know, where people don't have nearby access to fresh, healthy, delicious groceries and other foods. So what do you think? Is this the best spot? I think the only other spot that I could see this going and succeeding. That's the most important thing is like this, it needs to stay open, would be like the Granary District or somewhere near the Post District, somewhere closer to West Downtown, because those are food deserts where a lot of people are coming in. They're going to be living there. We've seen 
areas that are now food deserts on the west side that couldn't support a market that was already in place because a lot of the west side has zoning that spaces people out so few people live in those neighborhoods and you're not going to get like the local support that Mm. that could keep a business like this open um so i would say logically it has to be east of i-15 anyways i think this is a fine place for it i don't think it's like overserved. i think it's making liberty wells more walkable and central city because this is right on the border yeah so it's like another nice option for people in multiple neighborhoods to come to um Maybe I'm not able to put my bias aside, like Molly. That's okay. Well, okay, now that you mentioned Central City, that's my neighborhood. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, this is a great place for for a (laughs) co-op. Right. Even though Central City is actually like, what do you have? Sprouts, Trader Joe's, Smith's. Smith's, Whole Foods. We got it all. We got it all. (laughs) Well, looking forward to the grand opening, hopefully in two years. No doubt. All right, Taylor, let's move on to our last segment, Pick of the Week. And as you are our honored guest, please start us off. I wanted to find something positive to talk about, but I failed. Um, <laughs> Son of a gun. <laughs> it's all right. Okay, there is a positive. It's a, let's do like the positive, negative, positive sandwich here. Um, we're going to get more affordable housing back to Central City. Yeah. There is Ivory Innovations, which is basically the Ivory Homes but they have a non-profit arm that teamed up with the LDS Church to take over uh, land and a building, um, the Liberty Wells Recreation Center um, on 4th East and 7th South. We actually looked at that particular vacant property uh, with uh, Salt Lake City Planning Director Nick Norris and asked him, why isn't it housing yet? So we're excited to see that it will hopefully soon become housing. They're moving very quickly and it will become housing. They're going to turn the existing building into 30 apartment units and then they're going to add 36 townhomes uh, on the vacant land next to it. And here's where I'll get to the less positive side. It'll all be affordable housing. So that's, that's great. But the thing about this is all lower income rental housing. And the reason I'm bringing this up is they, they're on a PR tour. They're going to do an event there soon with the governor. Governor Cox will be there. Oh. And I think they'll all be touting that here. Look, without subsidies, there's an affordable housing project that's going to be built very soon. It's not very innovative is the thing. that It wasn't hard for them to do this because they got the mm. land for free from the church. Mm-hmm. And I think what would have been innovative is if they made it, uh, sure, moderate income, uh, affordable for people of moderate income for sale. Because okay. you can't buy a house right now. That's a serious problem if you make a moderate income. And we don't really need more cheap rentals. And so the real innovation would be to swim upstream of that and build for sale that could give Emily Means a place to buy or (laughs) I don't know if you own a home. I don't whatever. No, I don't. Uh, I rent. Well, okay, this is interesting, Taylor, because I feel like renters would probably say, actually, yeah, we would love some more affordable renting options. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And I know that people, you know, people in my generation maybe are not even sure if they want to buy a home at this point. But I see your point. Like, it would be nice to have that option as well. Saving the the rec center and turning that into housing, that's innovative. But adding 36 moderate income rental townhomes is not innovative whatsoever. And I think it's a huge missed opportunity by Ivory that I would love to see them correct before they have that uh, press event with the governor in two weeks. So Mm. we'll see what happens. 
Taylor, thanks for sharing that news with us. Um, I have a little bit of news, too, for my pick of the week. We are heading into Labor Day, and I have some labor news for you. Uh, The Salt Lake City Public Library Board has officially recognized the Library Workers Union. So that's neat. And uh, details are a little short on how they're going to move forward from this. But this is something Mayor Mendenhall publicly supported. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of library workers are excited to see where this goes. So just a little tidbit of news for you. Uplifting. Positive. That's great. And we you're like breaking to... news up and down the, uh, the show here. <laughs> Look at you. We like to end on that kind of note when we can. All right, Taylor Anderson from Building Salt Lake, thanks so much for spending this time with me and uh, for keeping an eye on what's going on in this city. I love CityCast so much, so thanks for having me. It's an honor. That's all for us today on CityCast Salt Lake. Our producers are Ivana Martinez, Lizzie Goldsmith, and Noah Snyderman. Our newsletter editor is Therina Ria, and our host is Ali Vallarta. Our lead producer is me, Emily Means. Music is by local band Mitochondria with additional music from all the kimonos. We're off Monday for Labor Day and we'll be back Tuesday morning with more from around this city. Have a great weekend.